Welcome to Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. Here's your host, Ben Wilson. Thank you, Vanna, and welcome to another edition of Living the Dream with Ben and Rodney. I'm Ben Wilson, and my co-host Rodney's here next to me taking a nap. We've got a big treat for you guys today. We have a special guest, Lisa Concepcion. She's been a friend of mine for several years, and she is a very fun person, but she is also one of the best dating and romantic coaches in South Florida. So I asked her to come on because Lisa's always full of great advice and good energy, and I wanted to get her take on advice for those out there who are looking to increase their dating relationships, meet the right person, and also for folks who maybe they're on a rebound from a bad relationship and they want to get back in the game and try to do things the right way. Or we have people who are married and they want to keep the excitement in that marriage for a long time. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Glad to have you. So tell the guests a little bit about yourself. I am so happy to be on this with you. This is so exciting. So yes, I'm Lisa Concepcion. I'm the founder of a company called Love Quest Coaching. And I am a certified professional love life strategist. So just like you said, I help typically type A professionals, you know, the go-getters who have it all together professionally, but sometimes struggle when it comes to love. That's really an interesting topic uh, just because down where we are in South Florida, there are a lot of people that are these working professionals and they've never been married and they're in their 30s and 40s. And it's something that's definitely different from where I grew up in Western Kentucky, where a lot of my friends, they got married in their early to mid 20s, especially after college. And now they're at the age where they've got children in high school or even college. And I'm even seeing some of my friends now in their early 40s where they've gone through a divorce. And so they're kind of having to get back into the dating game. And I think it's always good to hear a perspective out there of, what you need to do to kind of get yourself back on the right track and for folks who they've never been married in their late thirties, early forties. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that in today's society. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, people would be like, what, you're not married and you're 40. What's wrong with you? (laughs) Yeah, definitely changed. It's absolutely a whole new generation and a whole new perspective when it comes to dating and relationships and marriage overall. I mean, there are a lot of people who were married before, and they don't necessarily want to be married again, but they're all for commitment and they're all for finding that special partner, that person that they can have the next chapter of life with, but yet they're reluctant to marry again. So I find that really interesting and it is normal and you're right. Things have changed considerably. I remember I got married when I was 27 and I was separated by 39 and then divorced by 44. So we had a very long separation. I highly do not recommend that for people. But there were things that we had to go through along our journey that led to so much wisdom. And I often tell people who come to me, you know, I say to them, well, are you looking to avoid divorce or are you looking to amicably divorce? Because I can help you with both. (laughs) I can definitely help you avoid it because I know exactly what we did wrong and what other my clients do, you know, that that ends up in their divorces, that they come to me, they do what I call a divorce detox, which is a program that I created and I did it on myself actually in 2015 into 2016. I took ample time to get over my divorce and all the emotional just stuff that you shed and that you make sense of when you go through that, you know? So 
I definitely approach my coaching very authentically. And a lot of it is the wisdom from my own mishaps and things that I would do differently. You know, that kind of Monday morning marital quarterbacking where you say, whoa, if only I knew this when I was 27, if only I knew this when I was 35, you know, there would be a whole different turnout. So now I get to use that and leverage that to help other people which is great, super rewarding, turning your mess into your message and your pain into your purpose, as they say. Right. Well, as I tend to do, I kind of see life as being addressed in Seinfeld in one way or another. And so when it comes to like dating in South Florida, I kind of categorize people into five categories based on Seinfeld. (laughs) I love that. Someone's either a Jerry, which is somebody who works a seasonal job, but very picky and always find something wrong with somebody, even though she looks like a model or he looks like a model. Of course, you got a Kramer, which I think there are a lot of Kramers in South Florida. It's somebody that they really don't have a job and you don't know what they do. (laughs) They seem to make it by. They're always at all the parties and things like that. And they're always in some type of like wild scheme, but yet they're always making it by. You've got a George out there who's someone who's in and out of jobs mid to late thirties, early forties or whatever, lives with her parents periodically, and just someone who's a, a negative person from time to time. Then you've got an Elaine, which is, I guess, somebody like me. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that are these young working professional folks that they've had intense jobs and they've let that get in the way of their dating relationships in the past. Then last, but certainly not least, you've got a Newman out there. And that's somebody that's always like watching from the sidelines or behind the scenes and trying to find negative things about other people and trying to get them down. But yet they're afraid to look in the mirror and see that they need to make some improvements on their end. And you get a lot of that now with social media trolls. So so I thought that was very interesting. So I guess we're going to start first with the Elaine character, because that's one I can relate most to. Okay. In South Florida, there are so many people that I know that are young professionals, whether they're lawyers or doctors or dentists or marketing professionals. I mean, but they have a a real career and it's a demanding career and they want to succeed because that's what we've always been taught growing up is you want to be the best that you can be. But yet they're married to their job. So when you have somebody like that come to you for coaching, what do you tell that person? Well, I mean, typically the coaching that I do, I'm certified as a life coach and I just chose dating and relationships because it certainly was a niche that just struck such a chord for me given my own journey. And so I often find that a lot of people are quote unquote married to their jobs, but yet they still want love. And so what the coaching process ends up becoming is this thing where we're more about like their lifestyle and we're looking at the other things that are really going on beneath the surface, because there's always something else, right? And oftentimes these people are using their jobs as a way to feel a certain way. They're looking for achievement, accolades, validation. Hey, look at me. I'm so successful at what I do because they are deep down insecure and they might feel inadequate in some way or shy or, you know, their relationship sector of their life is one where they're actually quite afraid to open up and to be intimate and to be on that level with a partner. So they just say, Oh no, it's all about my job. It's, it's, you know, I've done this my whole life. This is what my life has been. And when I ask the question, well, why is that? You know, they're often stunned by the question. They're like, well, why is that you dedicated 
you know, 30 until now 40 or even younger, you have a lot of them that, you know, they finish law school or they finish med school, or they finish whatever the MBA. And then, you know, they're 26 years old. They had a few dates here and there, but nothing serious. Maybe they had, you know, a girlfriend in college and now they find themselves, you know, 40 and it's like, okay, so tell me what your journey was about. What was that about? Like, what was the whole driver for the business, the success for business? And typically it often is rooted in some kind of um, desire to either impress parents or live up to a standard that their parents imposed on them or their definition of what they thought success is. And then they realize, you know, but that isn't success. It's like being well-rounded and, and being thriving in life in general is success. And they almost come to this, you know, midlife range where they're like, whoa, I just questioned everything that I thought success meant. And then they have like this existential crisis where they're like, oh my God, like for the last 15 years, I thought it was all about this and that this other piece of my life would fall into place and it never did. And then they realize, you know, there's a bunch of stuff that they need to really work through so that then they can allow that person to come in. They can make the space for them. So that, yeah, that is kind of like Elaine. <laughs> you know, one thing uh, with young professionals too is we tend to be perfectionists. And so people never want to do something that they may fail at. And so if somebody has been through a relationship where they failed, whether it was through a divorce or just a bad breakup, they're kind of afraid to get off, back on the horse again they're afraid of failure and they get in this comfort zone where, well, you know what, I can good going to the gym and I'm good going out with my guy friends or girlfriends or just hanging out or the young professionals stuff. And they're afraid to make a commitment. I have friends like this too. And it's something like if they don't get over that fear, then what happens is if they meet somebody that wants to commit, they're afraid to make a commitment because they're like, well, what if I make a mistake again? And there's just really gun shy. Absolutely. Very common. And the thing is with that perfectionism and the fear of failure and clinging to comfort zones, you know, as we all know, anything that's worth anything is always on the other side of a comfort zone. Whenever we get discomfort, you know, in our life and we face it, that's when all the magic happens. That's when like, you know, you go for that job that was just a little bit higher than you thought you were ready for, but they hire you. And then you're like, oh my gosh, I have to actually do this job, you know? And then it ends up being like the best people, the best experiences. You're like, oh my God, I up-leveled so much. Or, you know, you take a chance like you did with Rodney, right? You didn't know Rodney. He was a little puppy. You didn't know him. You didn't know anything about him, but you took a risk. You said, oh, all right, I, there's something about this little puppy dog that's, you know, speaking to my soul. So I'm going to take a chance on him. I'm just going to, you know, raise him and love up on him and make it a great life. So oftentimes in many aspects of life, we aren't perfect. We often take risks. We, you know, we could really break it down and look at it and say, there kind of really isn't any failure. There's just lessons, you know, it's just a matter of how we look at it. And so that breakup that you went through or, you know, somebody went through when they were 28 and you're like 40, you're like, wait a minute, but I'm a different person now. I'm 40, but I know so many other things and I know the kind of life that I want to have. And I know that I would come at a relationship entirely different than the man that I was or the woman that I was at 28. Totally wiser. So why not open my heart up and, you know, see what happens. And it's just a journey, you know, it's all a journey. Some people are on it for five years. Some people are on it for a lifetime. Some people blow in for three dates. But either way, we just have to keep an open heart, right? You doing this podcast 
kind of uncomfortable, right? There's, there's editing, there's equipment, there's all kinds of stuff, putting yourself out there, you know? So anything that's good always comes from the other side of, you know, getting uncomfortable is always a good thing. And so I encourage people to push through that discomfort. And more so, what I like to do with people is really help them get to the root of their habits and their thoughts and their beliefs, because those limiting beliefs are the things that really hold us back. But once we shift them and we see it in a different way, then we realize, oh, this isn't that scary at all. I often use the analogy of like, you know, riding a bicycle for the first time. So here you are a little kid, you're five, six years old and you have the training wheels. And then that day comes where somebody gets the bright idea of, okay, we got to teach you how to ride a bike. Risky, scary. You're going to fall, probably going to skin your elbows, skin your knees, but eventually you just stick with it. You just stick with it and you believe. You believe. You look around and you're like, wait, if these people can do this, I could do this. If that kid up the street, you know, he's littler than me. I could, I could totally ride a bike. And you believe it. So it's the same with love. When you believe, you're like, you know what? All these people are falling in love and they're breaking up and then they're getting back together or they're breaking up and moving on and finding new people. So it's just a big journey. It's one big, huge journey. And like who we're blessed to be with along the way, it all helps us grow, whether it's heartache, whether it's rebounding from heartache. I mean, everything that we go through in life always strengthens us, always makes us wiser, better. So, you know, to shut down because, oh, this girl dumped me when I was 18 or this guy dumped me when I was 25, I can never love again. That's like, you know, having a pet and then the pet passes on and you never have a pet again, yet you still have this love in your heart that you want to like give to, you know, pass it along to another pet. One thing that you mentioned on your Instagram page the other day, um, you did a segment on confidence. And I think that's something that is so important for people, whether it's in a dating relationship or a job or whatever, because if you don't have confidence, to me, that's like the worst turnoff. I mean, I don't care, at least in my perspective, you know, I don't really... To me, I'll be honest, appearance is important. It is. It's not the most important thing. But if somebody doesn't have confidence and they're just kind of scared and things like that, then that makes that woman not attractive to me. And I've heard my women friends say the same thing. It's like if a guy has like charisma, and that's why a lot of these women, they like the rock stars and stuff. It's because the lead singer, they get out there and they have charisma and they have confidence and they make themselves like more attractive in that regard. But if people don't have that. It just seems like it's a death knell if they want to try to have a relationship. What do you think about that? You know, confidence is everything. And what's interesting is there's this quiet kind of confidence. Everybody thinks, you know, confidence means being gregarious, being the center of attention, you know, being the most popular person in the room, that kind of thing. But there's a lot to be said for the steadiness and a quiet confidence that comes from certainty. And when you have certainty about who you are, where you came from, your adversities that you've overcome, the lessons that you've learned, a confidence certainly comes with that. And it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you're the scene stealer of a party or whatever. It just really means that you can really hold your own and you can engage in conversation and really be steady in who you are and not really acquiesce to what you think the other person wants, but who you truly are. And you're coming at it as, well, I'm here for me. I'm here to see if you're a fit for me. I'm not here to try to 
be something that I'm not to meet a condition for someone else. But when you have that confidence and you say, you know, I'm just open to meeting great people. I'm open to having a full, fun, amazing, authentic life. And I'm confident that the right person will find me, I'll find them and together we'll build something great. And when you have that confidence, there's no attachment to an outcome of a relationship. It's more about the ease and flow of a great life. And from that place, you attract amazing people. And then you're able to decide because you know who you are. You know what you're looking for. You know where you are in your life, the kind of goals you have, and the kind of partner that will help you attain them and will be by your side as you strive to attain those goals and make them happen. Going back to Seinfeld, that reminds me of the episode in Seinfeld when George Costanza was having lunch with Jerry and Elaine and Kramer, and he ordered this salad or this, um, I think it was the tuna or something like that. And Elaine says, you know, George, that woman looked at you over there and he was like, <laughs> it's my favorite episode. Bald men with no job who live with their parents don't approach strange women. And Jerry's like, well, now here's a chance to do the opposite. That's right. The episode of George and the opposite. Hilarious. So he gets up and goes over to this woman She and she's a good looking blonde. And he's like, excuse me, but I couldn't help but notice that you looked in my direction. She's like, oh, yes. You'd order the exact same lunch I did. And he stands there and he just gets up the courage and he says, my name is George. I'm unemployed and live with my parents. And she turns around and she's like, I'm Victoria. Hi. (laughs) It's the best. Sometimes people who just don't have confidence, they kind of have to do the opposite because it's like, well, if what you're doing right now is not working, the opposite would have to be correct. Or in the Seinfeld, it was like, well, if every instinct you have is wrong, the opposite would have to be right. There you go. And sometimes, you know, people falsely think that confidence comes from external things. You know, it comes from the plastic surgery or the flashy car or whatever. And, you know, it's vapid, you know, it's external. So I have this, you know, this analogy of like a turd in a Tiffany box, right? It's all shiny on the outside. And then you open the lid of the Tiffany box and there's a turd inside. It's who you are from the inside. It exudes, if you exude confidence, you could roll up in any kind of car and be like, yeah, what's up, everybody? You know, and like, yeah. And, you know, in this city, Miami, right, where we live, there's such a fakeness, you know, there's so flash, there's so much of that flash. And there are so many people who are so overly insecure that they need the trophy girlfriend or boyfriend, you know, with that whole scene. But then when you really talk to them and you really hit them with the powerful questions, you know, those open-ended questions, they look at you like a deer in headlights. They would rather just laugh and exist in this, you know, superficiality that is so much so in the city. But, you know, I will say too that that's just a tiny part of Miami, but because it's so flashy, it gets all the attention. But in this city, I have to say, it's such a beautiful international melting pot that you get people from everywhere and they're all wanting different things for their lives. And you get a lot of people who just want to settle down, or as I put it, you know, settle up because you never settle, but really find that partner, create a really cool, special, fun life. So, you know, in that case, you do see people who have confidence in different ways. 
There are some people who thrive in their careers and they have a lot of confidence in that. And they, they feel like, wow, like I, I know I can offer something to a partner. I know like I'm not a woman who like typical Miami, you know, these girls who are sponsored by, you know, their looks and, and men pay for their dinners and vacations and even times their rent. And to go back to what you were saying, that nebulous job that nobody knows what they do, you know, it's a lot of that here. And Yet you'll have that other girl who's like, you know, I'm a paralegal and, you know, I'm considering going to law school myself and I've been doing this for 10 years. I'm 32 years old and I would like love to meet a wonderful man. And, you know, yeah, I live on Brickle. I have a great apartment. <laughs> I have a great, you know, there is that. But unfortunately in the city, the other gets much more attention. And these are these other people who have actual jobs, you know, they're doing their thing just like anybody else. They're, you know, looking for love. When you mentioned that with the car, it just kind of made me think, you know, when I was in high school, I've always been one to be attracted to like the hottest girl in school kind of a thing or hottest women in, in school. But I was like, okay, well, in order for me to get that, I've got to have a really nice car and I've got to have a really good job. And so that's why I wanted to be a lawyer and this and that. And because it was like everybody that I knew that had a good job and a good car, I had a really attractive wife or girlfriend. And I was just... I didn't have any confidence in high school in that regard because my mom remarried my stepdad in 91 and I went to a new high school and the car that I was going to have to drive, it was like a burnt orange, like AMC, like station wagon. We called it the Hornet and it, it was hideous, just hideous. <laughs> How cool. It's hideous. But like looking back, you're like, that was a pretty dope ride. Like that was No, no, it was, it was hideous. It was bad. And so like everybody else in my class, when um, they turned 16, they wanted to get their driver's license right away and people were getting cars and stuff. I didn't because I just did not want to drive that car. I was just so embarrassed by it and everything. So anyway, I waited until I guess it was like my junior year. I got my license late, but I was just so embarrassed asking anybody out to ride in that car. And my mom was like, well, if, if she has any kind of class at all, she won't care what kind of car you drive. I'm like, well, if she's hot, she will. I just knew that's how it was. And I will never forget when I was a senior in high school. I mean, that was a car I had to drive because I had an early morning class I had to take for a, an honors program. So one day, an honors English teacher came in and she asked to see me. And we had just finished our like senior portfolios. And I thought I was getting an award or something. She's like, hurry up, hurry up. I was like, well, you know, I don't need a big hurry to get this award. My car caught on fire in the school parking lot. And it was like, no. yes. Oh and, the, and it just paved the, the parking lot. So it was like a brand new, freshly paved parking lot. And this car caught on fire. And it was getting close to the time that people were coming in and seeing it. So the fire department came out. And I wasn't worried about the car burning up because I really didn't like the car. But I was concerned it was going to burn like my friend's cars who were parked next to it, which none of them were damaged or anything. But this car caught on fire. I mean, they got a photo of it in my senior yearbook. No. Yeah, it was. was, (laughs) Your car was a legend. It was. (laughs) So obviously, and that was like the time for like homecoming dance and stuff like that. So it was like, I found a friend to go with me. People were like, I don't know if I want to go out with you with this car and this and that. So it was a complete embarrassment. So I can completely understand somebody who kind of feels that, you know, if they don't have that certain look or car or whatever, they don't live at the right condo or whatever, that they're not going to be able to get the kind of woman or guy that they want. So how do you talk to somebody who 
they don't have this confidence because if it's a guy who doesn't look like Chris Hemsworth, he's not one of these guys that has time to go to the gym for four hours a day and work out every day. He goes about like maybe a couple of times a week. He's where you have this woman that she's attractive, but you know, she doesn't have the enhancements that other women in South Florida have. Cause I mean, it's just so rampant down there. Not that I'm opposed to it at all. I mean, I think if whatever someone wants to do to make themselves look better and feel more confident, that's great. But I feel like a lot of people feel that if they don't have that standard, they're not going to get what they want because there are so many attractive people down in Miami and or Fort Lauderdale and Palm Beach. That it's like, well, if I don't have this look, then he or she's just going to pick somebody else. Wow. So, yeah, there's a lot there to unpack. <laughs> so, first of all, we have an internal and an external world. And what we attract externally is completely a result of our internal belief system. So if we have all these beliefs that say, I'm not going to get a beautiful woman unless I have, you know, quarter of a million dollars annual at least. And it just never ends is my point. There'll always be a woman who wants somebody taller, richer, smarter, more successful, better car. So when does it end? Like, oh, I got the Ferrari. That's not good enough. You need the Bugatti. Oh, and I got the Bugatti. Oh, that's not good. Now you need an Austin Martin. Like it never ends. So there has to be a line that's drawn with a person when the person says, I love who I am. I love who I am, who I am and my worthiness doesn't come from the, a mere mortal. My worthiness comes from God. My worthiness comes from source. I wake up in the morning and I'm worthy. Not because some woman or some guy says, oh, nice abs and you're worthy. It's way more than that. And I feel like the biggest detriment that we see in society as a whole, whether it's Miami, Manhattan, Michigan, or the moon, we see a lack of self-love, a lack of that deep bond between ourselves and that higher guidance, whether it's God, whether it's source, whether it's Buddha, whatever way you want to roll, there's something higher that guides all of us and it's rooted in love. And when we are disassociated with that, we start to live externally. We stop seeing that our value is an internal game, not an external game, but we start to now want to look a certain way. We start freaking out because we're aging. We start wanting, you know, the new car, the better apartment. We live on this constant external gratification as a way to define who we are. And when all of that is wipes clean, who we are, the essence of who we are is really what matters. Now, all this is wonderful and, you know, it's just a problem that so many people refuse to do that inner work. Mm -hmm. And they would rather walk into, you know, a Ferrari dealership on their 50th birthday and be like, okay, I'm going to buy not only one for me, but for my 30-year-old mistress or my 30-year-old, you know, trophy. And, you know, it's a lot of that with a lot of show and no substance. And so when we decide, whatever time in our journey, you know, the piper does always come to call, right? So whether it's a divorce, whether it's a loss of a business, something happens to test us to really remind us of our greatness and that our greatness isn't wrapped up in an address. It's not wrapped up in what we're driving. It's wrapped up in, you know, can you hang? 
You know, can you hang with yourself? Can you, can you go through whatever in life and look at yourself and be like, I love you no matter what. I love you no matter what. And it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. And it's from that energy is where we attract. And that's where you attract the real deal. Not the people who are going to lie and play us and all that, but you attract the real deal. When you're real with yourself and you know your value, you're not going to bother with any of the external people who want the external. Yeah, I think uh, knowing your worth is a very important thing because at the end of the day, we're not all going to look like Sofia Vergara and Joe Manginello. We're just not. I mean, we're going to try our best and stuff like that. But if you're wanting to attract somebody for dating, you got to think that you're pretty awesome because at the end of the day, if you don't feel that you're awesome, you're not going to radiate that. And why in the world would the other person want to hang out with you and maybe date you if they don't feel that you're a catch and they're getting some benefit? I don't know too many people that want to downgrade their life. They want to upgrade their life. And that's sort of how I approach my situation now. I mean, I come home, I spend a lot of time at the gym, I like to play sports, I'll hang out with Rodney, I'll do a lot of fun things, hang out with friends, stuff like that. But I don't feel that it's like imperative for me to have a girlfriend, and it's going to be great if I do, and great if I get married, but I don't want to just settle for something that I'm not going to be happy with and or kind of downgrade. And I feel like that people need to feel that the same way and radiate that confidence and that success or else they're always going to feel inadequate and they're never going to attract somebody because they're not going to give off that vibe and energy that somebody else is going to be attracted to. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I do a lot of work in law of attraction, right? So a lot of that is rooted in my coaching practice. It's really fun. People manifest really cool stuff when they, you know, sign on for a coaching journey with me. I mean, they're typically 90 days. So in that time, we get to really know each other. You know, people are like, oh my God, I started working with you. I got promoted at work. Like all this random stuff started happening. I had this one client that would travel a lot for business. He's like, every single time, I swear, every single time I go for a business trip, I went from complaining about my rooms and always getting shafted to getting upgrade after upgrade after upgrade. (laughs) And it's because we just do these fun experiments about like the language that we use to describe our lives. And we start to speak our ideal life into existence. So the other part that I bring to my coaching practice is that I did marketing and public relations for like 23 years before I was a coach. And so I did a lot of crisis communications work. I was the girl that, you know, they'd bring in the room when they were like, okay, you know, this drug, they tested it on monkeys and like three of the monkeys died. Like, how are we going to tell this to the news? Like, what do we say? So I had to look at data and I had to be like, okay, let's look at this and let's look at what, how we can speak of this so that we could educate the people, but not make it mass hysteria, you know? So I had to learn how to really finesse words and use words wisely and what have you. So I incorporate a lot of fun language stuff, everything from how to text people, how to uh, initiate a conversation, how to have, I call it, you know, lily padding, jumping from topic to topic on a date so that you become this like really cool conversationalist, but it comes out very natural and organic. So a lot of it's language work, but a lot of it is law of attraction. So that which we speak, you know, our words, if to watch our words, what leaves our lips becomes our reality. So when we're talking about things about confidence and what we want and focusing on what we want and speaking it into existence, that's all about confidence. So, you know, when you have these people and they're talking about, oh, there aren't any good guys, there aren't any good girls, all the good ones are taken. And those are the beliefs that 
you know, you keep repeating those words, it becomes your belief. And then from a belief, it becomes your actual experience. But when you say, you know, I go out and every time I go out, I meet somebody cool. Every time like this guy, like my client, listen, I said, you have to change your story. You have to say, listen, I am open to receiving an upgrade in my hotels. Every time I go, I'm going to be pleasantly surprised. I'm turning over a new leaf, kind of like, you know, opposite George. And I said, what's the opposite of that? If you said your whole time, every time you go on a flight, you're always prepared. There's going to be delays. Travel for me is terrible. It's awful. It's awful. So I, I like literally look at what people say because it perpetuates a belief. And when you have a belief, the universe is only going to serve up more to prove that belief true. But when you start to look at other aspects of your life and you start to say, wait a second, I've gone on many many, many other business trips and I've had a wonderful experience. So why am I only focusing on the crummy ones? Why am I not focusing on like that awesome time that I went to LA and I was staying at like an intercontinental or something and they upgraded me to some suite and then they made a mistake and then I, they put me the following night in even a bigger suite and I found people that I went to college with who were in LA at the same time. We ended up having a great party. I mean, like, <laughs> so I had these people like conjure up, you know, this particular client conjure up other moments that were great. And then he was like, you know what? That was completely untrue. Like I, I made myself focus only on the negative, but I've had so many instances where I've had great travel. So then I said, okay, what about with women? How can you apply the same thing with women? And he's like, oh my gosh. Like I always say, all the good ones are taken. All the hot ones are psychos. You know, <laughs> he, he always says that, right? So I said, okay, perfect. So let's use the same analogy as you with your airplane thing and your hotel thing. So he goes, okay. So I go, how true is it? Like, did you ever meet a girl who is both hot and sane? And he goes, yes, all the time. <laughs> I go, I go, okay. So what are the, who are these women? Who are the, give me examples. He's like, they're all good friends of mine. They're beautiful women. They're totally sane. They're not psychos. And I always end up putting myself in the friend zone. They don't even do it. One of them liked me for a long time. And I always just didn't want to get too close. I didn't want to take a chance. And he ended up taking a chance and it worked out. So, I mean, sometimes the thing that you want is like right in front of your face and you just are too chicken to go for it. Yeah. To bring up the friend zone. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I've been friend zoned a lot because I was kind of hesitant to go forward. Cause I was like, well, you know, I know this person pretty well and I don't want to mess up that, but it's like, if you never take that chance, you just kind of end up in the friend zone. So how do people avoid the friend zone? Wow. Well, by making your intentions very clear. Follow up on that though, because I have some guy friends that, I mean, I kid you not, they see one attractive girl and they will literally like pull off the side of the road and like go into the gas station where she walked in and like, you know, hunt her down and stuff. And I mean, I could never do anything like that, but they're just that aggressive and right away. But then there's like myself, it's like, I got to know a little bit about them, this and that. But yet you don't want to go too far until you're in the friend zone. So like, what's the happy medium? Well, like I said, it's just about having your intentions very clear. Like if you're into somebody romantically, that needs to be conveyed and it could be conveyed through subject matter. It could be conveyed through body language. You know, it could be conveyed by the language that you use instead of saying things like, let's get together and grab a bite. That's very casual. That's very friendly. But when a man, an adult man says, I'd like to take you out to a date. I'd like to take you to dinner. Perhaps we should have dinner. I think we should have dinner. 
I mean, like, damn, like sexy man comes over to you and says, listen, so here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking we need to have dinner. You know, for sure. He's not coming at you as a friend. A friend would never say that. If you take a hot girl and you're sitting at uh, the low level of a Miami heat game, you would think she knows it's a date. She may think it's a friend. So you got to be careful out there. You got to be really, really intentional. Like if you say to this girl, Hey, I have tickets to the heat game. You want to come? She'll be like, yeah, love that. And she'll come as a friend. I can see her maybe thinking that's a friend, but if it's down low and you're like 20 rows or less. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. She can still think you're a friend. You know what it is? It's the attachment to the material that has nothing to do with it. I don't care if a guy gives me World Series tickets. If I'm not into him and I don't know if he's into me, I'm going to presume that he just thinks I'm a cool chick and that we're going as friends. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter how expensive the restaurant does not matter. It's your intention. It's your energy. It's what you're giving off. And if a woman says, yeah, you're going to take me to, you know, like here in Miami, it's, you know, it's Red the Steakhouse or Prime 112, you know, the the hottest steak, the steak places in in town to the CNBC type places. And, you know, you could go, I'd be like, somebody asked me once and I was like, cool, let's go. I'm down. I'm, I'm all about eating some steak. Let's go. And we got there and I was like, all right, let's sit at the bar and hang out. Cause I was all about it for friends. You know, I was, I was into it to just to see where this guy was coming from and I wasn't going to make any presumptions. But then as the evening progressed, I quickly saw that this is a date thing and I wanted it to be a date. So it's not only on the guy, it's on the both people to make it really clear what this is about. Even the boyfriend I have now of three years, right? When I first met him, he just thought I was just like friendly and neighborly because I offered him a ride home. I met him at um, the deck here, Island Gardens. I come to learn through conversation that he lived five blocks away from me. So when I left, I said, hey, listen, do you want a personal Uber ride? Because I'm going that way. And he said, fine, that'd be great. But during our conversation, I was attracted to him and he was me, but we never, ever let on that it was something more. We were just kind of getting to know each other. But then later that evening when he said, how about we go for a nightcap? I made a flirty joke. I said, oh my God, that makes me think of the love boat. I'm dating myself. The TV show, the love boat, my gosh. And I said, you know, the nightcap was always code for someone's hooking up. <laughs> yeah. Well, unless it was a naked gun with uh, Nielsen, Bill Presley went up to him and said, so can I interest you in a nightcap? And he said, no, thank you. I don't wear them. <laughs> That's great. So yeah, so you know, we ended up going for a bite to eat. And I really that's when like the conversation got a little more intimate. We started talking about our, you know, personal lives a little bit. I ordered some food and I'm like, I need to make it clear to this guy that I'm interested in him romantically. And so food came and I very feminine move for the women who are listening. Highly recommend this move. I the food ar- arrived and I prepared a perfect bite and fed it to him. So we were seated at the bar and the food comes and I told him, are you ready to eat something amazing? And he was like, yeah. So I said, okay, hold on. And I, he watched me, you know, meticulously like cut the food, put it on the fork, add the extra bit of tomato, like do the whole thing. And then I looked at him and I fed him very intently And I looked at him for his reaction and he went, oh my gosh, that's amazing. I'm like, right? So good. And he told me that was when he knew I liked him. And that's when that was the green light. That was the permission to pursue. 
And I often tell, you know, suggest to women, you got to give a guy permission to pursue. A lot of women get hung up in, I don't want him to think I'm chasing. I don't want him to think I'm too accessible. I'm like, no, you're not doing that. What you're doing is you're giving someone permission to pursue. It's the green light. It's the green light. And this way, if it comes to be where he does nothing, well, then you could hold your head high being like, well, I made it clear to him that I liked him. He did nothing. So I can walk away. and That's fine. But that takes confidence. That takes like serious level game confidence <laughs> because I could have fed him and he could have been like, oh, this is really good. And then like, you know, punched me in the arm and been like, all right, good night. You know, and it would have been like, all right, whatever. But that whole all right, whatever is what the confidence is. So when you approach dating without an attachment to the outcome, that's what I call the dating sweet spot. It's the sweet spot of dating. It's I am open, like what you had said before so perfectly, Ben, you said, I am open to meeting somebody great, but it isn't going to define me. I'm not desperate to do it. It just has to happen organically and on my terms. But definitely a man, there is a way for them to make it very clear, especially when you're handing over tickets to a very important game, <laughs> that this is a date. And it's very, very important because a lot of guys that I coach, they'll break out the good dinner, the $200, you know, $300 and the, just the bottle of wine itself is 200 bucks. I mean, crazy. And this girl's thinking like, oh, you're such a great guy. Thank you so much. You're so kind and so generous and la la la. And she's like, oh, I thought we were just friends. Meanwhile, she just hustled, you know, a $500 dinner. You have to be really, really careful with that. So it's got to be very intentional. And there's got to be a screening phone call. I often tell men, I say, listen, guys, like before you ask a girl out, are you doing this over text? Or are you going to have a conversation with her to see if she's worthy of your time and the $500 dinner? And I'm not even an advocate for that level of dinner until you're exclusive, until you're exclusive with something to celebrate. There's so many men leading out there with their money and it's just ruining them. They're getting bitter, jaded because, oh, I bought this girl this beautiful dinner. I took her on a helicopter even. I did this date. I did that date. And I'm just like, bro, you know what you do? You got to get her on the phone and you have to see if she's worthy of you. You just got to sit there and be like, listen, I know what I have to offer. I'm a king. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm looking for a queen. I'm not looking for a girl who's going to use me. I'm not looking for a girl who's going to snap a selfie, show her friends, look at me, I'm at floor seats at the ball game and use it for an Instagram picture and then not see me again. You mentioned Instagram. It's a, one of the things that's like a huge pet peeve for me. Whenever I go out on a date, I always intentionally do not take my phone with me into the restaurant. And I'm not like I'm this huge dater or whatever, but every time I get the question, well, why aren't you going to take your phone with you? Someone important might call. I'm like, I'm going out with you. That's what I'm focused on right now. And they're like, well, what if somebody dies? I'm like, well, by the time I get the message, you're still going to be dead. <laughs> I love that. Nothing is more annoying to me. And it happens in business meetings too, believe it or not. But when somebody is more focused on their phone than they are on you on a date or something like that. And I'm like, okay, if they're not focused on that, then what kind of energy are they going to bring? They're not bringing any energy. They're focused on something else. Totally, totally. You know, one of the things that I told uh, a female client of mine to do to set herself apart, you know, because like we always say, everybody's in the swipe right 
world that we live in, right? It's the bigger, better deal. There's a surplus of people. If this one's not good, then the next one will be. And we're always looking for the thing that's going to set us apart. So there was this girl that I was coaching and she had that fear. She's like, every single time I'm like into a guy and like, it'll be going great. And then he'll ghost me or it'll just fizzle. And I'm just over it. Like I'm over the whole having anxiety over, you know, am I, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, nothing's wrong with you. So she's like, well, I need like a move. I need like a signature thing that shows a guy that I stand out. So I said to her, I go, do you usually take your phone with you? She goes, everywhere I go. I go, okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to have your phone in your hand. And let's say you and he meet. You go to a restaurant and you're meeting and, you know, you're like, I'm in my Uber. Okay, I'll see you in five minutes and whatever. Whenever you meet him, you say the following words. Well, I found you, so I don't need this anymore. And you take your phone and you put it in your bag. That is going to speak volumes to that guy because eight out of 10 guys, when you say, what's your number one pet peeve, eight out of 10 will say a girl who's always on her phone. There are some guys I know that, I mean, they're just constantly on their phone and it's like, hey, I'm trying to talk to you or whatever, just just as a buddy. So I I just think that's something that people have really got to get out of that habit or else I just find it disrespectful because you're just not focused on your date or your significant other or whatever. And then to me, it's such a huge turnoff because it's like, okay, so what kind of commitment are you going to have? Is it just going to be when it's convenient kind of a thing? So I just think that's a huge turnoff. One thing I want to transition to a little bit is, and since we were referring to Seinfeld, I have to bring up this quote. You've gotten the, it's not you, it's me. (laughs) Someone said, it's not you, it's me. You know, that's a lie and everything. And you've got to self-examine yourself and you got to get back out there. What should people do to kind of get back out there? And I'm going to ask for like some top Miami places for people to go, or is it, you know, this Tinder thing or Bumble? I I could never do Tinder or Bumble. I just, I'm so skeptical of the whole thing because I'm like a bunch of fake people out there and I've got to actually, you know, meet her and be able to talk to her and see what kind of conversation she has. But what are your tips that you give people who are trying to get back out there? Wow. So definitely confidence is everything. Got to feel like you're ready. Got to really believe in the clarity of who you're looking for. Like clarity is everything. And that's where the confidence comes from. So if you're just like, you know, dating like a pinball, going out there and not having clarity about who you want based on where you're at in your own life and what goals you're trying to work towards and the things that matter to you, and you're just attracting people by default. And so that could be a bit of an uphill battle. But when you have that clarity, so, you know, if if somebody comes to me and they're like, oh my gosh, I've got divorced. I haven't been dating in 10 years. And what do I do? How do I even begin? There were no dating apps when I was in the dating game. (laughs) So I always tell them, well, you know, let's get some clarity about where you are in your life right now and really what would work for you in a partner. And then we're going to start speaking that into existence, right? We're going to start really thinking intentionally about that ideal person that you want. And then we're going to start having fun in your life. I'm going to start doing things that light you up. Like, what do you like to do for fun? And I make them come up with a list. Like, what do you, what do you typically do on a Saturday afternoon? What's some stuff that you do? Okay. You run errands. Like what else do you got going on? Because I always want to tell people, you know, when you sit down at a date and somebody says to you, what do you do for fun? And you're just like, wow. Um, well, 
Wow. Good question. What do I like to do for fun? I mean, you got to be on point with your life. You have to live a life so fun and so fabulous that it would be unethical not to share it with somebody else. You know, I always say it all begins with you. Got to love up on you. You got to create this amazing life for yourself where you're thriving. And then that's when, you know, you're so riding so high on your life that you're just like, dude, I love my life. I love my neighborhood. I love my neighbors. I love my friends. I love my dog. I love my job. I have everything flowing. It's so fun. And that's how you attract invitations to places where, boom, there's your person. Well, you don't even need a dating app. You just get an impulse. You're like, oh, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to go kiteboarding or whatever your thing is you like to do. And all of a sudden you go to wherever place and boom, standing right there or in the group is your person. Where are some cool places in Miami for people to meet people? So, I mean, Miami, I often find like it really depends on what you're looking for, right? So, you know, everybody here kind of says they want the same thing, yet they go to the wrong place to find it. So I always say to people, listen, when you go to the supermarket and you're going there for milk, do you go where they keep the cheese? No, you go where they keep the milk. So it's the same with dating. If you're sitting here telling me that you want a success-minded guy, right? A success-minded guy is not at a nightclub at four in the morning, right? A success-minded guy might be partying with his buddies, but he's not in a place in that energy to be meeting women, Not certainly not the love of his life, right? But that same guy, you might be able to meet him at, some really interesting, cool, like real estate seminar about like how to flip houses or something, or you might meet him, you know, a retreat, some kind of like betterment wellness retreat or whatever. It depends on like who your guy is. I had a client, female, same thing. Oh, all the good ones are taken. Where can I meet a guy that has some kind of, you know, financial solvency to him? I do well. I have my business. I want a guy who's an equal. I said, listen, what about taking some golf lessons? Like, go to the driving range, like go to where the guys are that you want. And she was like, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. So she and a bunch of her girls, they went to forget the name of it. And I think there's one in date as well, but it's a driving range and it's really fun. There's, you know, multiple bars, there's music. It's, it's very like VIP style. You could get like bottle service and like do driving range. So it's like things like that, you know, it's really looking at what brings you joy, what's fun and just find ways to have fun. And in that place, your vibration, right? Your vibe will be so high and like a beam of light that anybody wants to get around that. You're like magnetic. You know, and one thing um, we haven't really talked much about married couples and keeping the, the excitement there and things like that. What is your advice when you counsel married couples? Ooh, so my whole deal with the married couples is setting really, really big crazy, scary goals and then reverse engineering them. And then every 90 days, what are we going for? What are we doing? Where are we going? Is it a vacation? Is it, where are we financially? What's the big thing that we're going for? And that keeps people so on focus and so together and so like unified because you're bonded over this bigger thing. And then the sex is good because you're talking about goals and, and you're proud of one another and you're cheering each other on and you're inspiring one another as opposed to plan nothing, live life to work, sit, watch Netflix, be on cell phones from the opposite sides of the couch and go to sleep and do it all again the next day. It's nothing sexy and nothing exciting in that kind of life. I call it the treadmill to nowhere. And I lived that life in my marriage. Granted, 
we did go on vacations. We live right near New York City. We would often go out with friends in the city. But the day-to-day, there wasn't that North Star, that greater goal, the purpose, the greater purpose for the relationship. And again, you know, it's a spiritual connection. The mistake that I had with my ex-husband was like, we had no soulful connection. There was no spirit involved in our relationship and therefore it lacked inspiration. So when you don't have spirit, you lack inspiration. And so we were always looking to one another. Hey, no, you don't inspire me. You don't inspire me. And it's like, listen, that's for you to have within yourself. If you're an inspired person, you're going to sit down with your spouse and you're going to be like, listen, I have an idea. I have an idea how we can make more money, how we could retire sooner, how we can travel the world, how we could take off and live in Italy for a summer. Like whatever your thing is as a couple that you want to do, there is such a power in the collective. When you set a goal with two or more people, that goal comes to be. When everybody is pulling their weight in it, the goal is attained. It's a theory. It's, you know, written Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich says when you have a defined purpose and you take action to a plan that is for the purpose, that will happen. It will, it will come to be. And so I find that a lot of couples run into struggles when they are bored, when they are into routines, they cling to the same, the same, the same. They're not looking where are we going 10 years from now and how do we reverse engineer it to get there? What can we be doing in the next week, the next month, the next 60 days to advance us personally, professionally, spiritually? How can I have your back? What are you going for? It doesn't even have to be both people. It could be a situation where you have a couple and maybe the wife is running in a 5k race or something. And so the answer then becomes, you know, my love, how do I support you in that endeavor? How can I be a good husband to you while you're doing this training, while you're trying to like, you know, run again or whatever your thing is. And that's how we lend support to one another. So being super supportive, being very collected in the goals, very, very important. Communication is everything. Really having that loving, kind communication, seeking to understand, not seeking to be right or or to manipulate or control And just like chilling out, you know, things we pick our battles, you know, things that we fight over as couples, it's really not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. We make a lot of noise over nothing a lot of times. And just, you know, always love up on each other. Always be kind. This kindness counts in a a relationship. You know, a lot of those things that you just mentioned, I think would apply to people who are single parents and trying to get back into the dating world too, because I feel like that's a pretty tough situation of from a time organization standpoint because when I uh, started my job in Brevard County which is Melbourne Cocoa Beach I went from Miami where it's a lot of single people even into their you know 50s or whatever to a situation sort of like where I was used to in Western Kentucky where people are married early and mid-20s or whatever they've had their kids their family now but now they're divorced and they're 40 with kids and stuff. And they're trying to find a dating life, but they're still trying to manage being that parent who helps their kids with homework and soccer practice and baseball practice or dance lessons and stuff like that. So what do you tell to the single parents uh, when they come to you for advice on how to get back out there or how to manage their relationships? So single parenting is like, a beast. Like my mom and my dad, right? Divorced when I was three. 
And so I would see my dad on weekends and one night during the week. And it was so important that they both had that support system. I stayed oftentimes with cousins. I stayed with my aunt. I had family all the time around me. My mom wasn't one to like leave me with random babysitters. She always wanted me with family. So it's so important to have that support system where if you're dating and you're, you know, a single mom or a single dad that you have that family member or that very trusted friend that can you know, watch your child for two hours or what have you, just so that you can, you know, maybe go have a coffee, meet somebody great. It also requires to be very realistic about where you are in your life and where you can make time for dating and time for another person, the time it takes to involve somebody else. And when you have a child, it's a whole different ball game. I mean, I have my dog Taz, right? And when I met my man now, I mean, I was like, you're not allergic to dogs, right? <laughs> you know, and that's a dog, right? So you could imagine if I had, you know, a 12-year-old or something, it's a whole different game. It's now, okay, is this man the man I bring around my child? And I find, you know, a lot of women, they're coming at dating, they're single mothers, and they're coming at dating out of loneliness, out of the simple wanting to have that physical closeness, And they don't really have the bandwidth for an actual relationship. And they expect men to be the filler in their busy life. And it's unfortunate, but it doesn't work that way. And so, you know, I came from a single mom, kind of, you know, divorced mom. My dad was with me every weekend. So think about that. My dad's in his 20s, right? His late 20s. I'm, you know, six, seven, eight, nine years old. And my dad would leave me with my grandma. So my dad still went out with his boys. He still did his thing, right? But never did he come home drunk. Never did he come home irresponsible to take care of me the next day. We always had the Sunday, wake up, have breakfast. Grandma was there. You know, my family was there. And I never felt that he didn't have his time with me and that he still went out and did what he had to do. I think a lot of times single parents these days They don't have the support system, unfortunately. They don't have those go-to three or four people that can like watch their kid while they go date. And they just are so overwhelmed. They are not empowering their children to do for themselves. You know, it's not saying you're going to leave a nine-year-old by themselves, but your nine-year-old kid can definitely go and stay with at their cousins and have a great time and watch movies and hang out. There's this hyper-parenting that we see where it doesn't allow parents' freedom to have a life beyond their children. It's a problem. It's raising a generation of kids who are completely coddled, socially inept, because their parents are so, so involved in every decision that they make in their lives. It's good. It's good to... It's. I used to love it when I was seven years old and I would see my mom getting all prettied up because she was going to go out dancing. I would put on lipstick. I'd wear my mom's shoes. But then, you know, she would put me in the bed, tuck me in and be like, okay, sleep, sleep for you. I'm going out and you're going to be here with your cousins, your aunt, everybody's here. You know, you need anything you're done. And I would go right to sleep. So I think it's a combination. It's, you know, parents got to really think, okay, where am I in my life? Is it the time right now to open myself up to love on the level that I know I need to give? It's not about the get. It's not about, oh, I'm going to find a guy that, you know, can come and hang with me twice a week because that's all I can give. It's, you know, it's not fair. He's going to take you to dinner. He's going to get invested in your life. And then, oh, no, I I don't have the time. It's not fair. It's not what it's about. 
So a lot of people are dating for that purpose. And, you know, a lot of single moms, I'm like, well, what are you, what are you looking for? You know, and, and the single moms that I coach, they're kind of high net worth. They have an infrastructure in place. They have a nanny. They have support, whether it's family. They can very easily drive the, the child to the grandmother's and, you know, leave it there for a few days and go on vacation with a guy if they need to and be completely okay that that kid's going to go, you know, be tended to and what have you. Yeah, it's just a matter of really prioritizing your life and making decisions and being like, this is where I'm at in my life and I deserve to be happy. Yeah, well, I, I think that's excellent advice. I mean, because I know of some situations where, like you said, the parents, they don't give their kids like any freedom. It's like, well, I've got to be here to supervise their homework or I've got to be here in case they need this or that. And me as a guy, I'd be like, gosh, if I was going to go out with you, I'd almost feel like I'm being brought in as a butler here or just kind of subsidize the funding of everything. And I'm like, to me as a guy, that would be like a huge turnoff. Yeah. It's a big turnoff. When I have men come to me and they're like, you know, I, I ask them, you know, what is it that you're looking for? You know? And they're like, definitely not a single mom. And it's like, wow, like what, what is that about? I tried to date single moms. Like I won't do it anymore. And I'm like, wow, interesting what happened. And odds are, it's exactly what you just said. It's all about the knight in shining armor who's going to fund my life. That's like all they come at it with. And it turns men off, you know, and on the flip side, you know, you have a lot of, it's rare, but you do have instances where you have men who have joint custody. So, you know, I find that the men are often a lot more deliberate in how they manage their time. They really know how to say, okay, I have my daughters every other weekend, So that means I can see you weeknights and maybe every other weekend we can get together and do something amazing and they stick to it. It's not, it's not, they're a little better than that. I'm not saying they're great, but they're a lot better. And also, you know, look from the receiving end of that, like if you're a single person, you have every right to just be like, yeah, I don't date people with parent with, with kids. I just don't, I didn't, I won't. My, my boyfriend is child free and I am too. And I just vibe that because I know what I'm doing and I know how to call in exactly what I want. <laughs> I like what kind of coach would I be if I couldn't manifest the exact guy that I wanted for myself, right? So <laughs> so I, you know, I had a very clear list. People thought I was crazy. They were like, wait a second, you live on South Beach and you want a guy who lives within walking distance who's from New York, a Yankee fan, a giant fan, and is good looking and in shape. Are you kidding me? And is between the ages of what did I say at the time I was 45, 46 and 54? <laughs> I said, yep. And he's on his way for me. So I must prepare. <laughs> and they're like, you're crazy. I'm like, no, he, he exists. I thought him up. I thought of him. Therefore he exists. I'm, I'm simply describing you who he is. I'm not saying that's who I want. I'm saying this is the man that I'm, you know, aligning with. So give me a month. I'll find him. Sure enough. Month later, when I told those girls that thought I was crazy, I said, so uh, listen, I met someone. <laughs> and they're like, what? And they go, let me guess. I go, they said, Yankee fan? I'm like, yep. <laughs> He's like, from New York? I'm like, uh-huh. They're like, no. I'm like, mm-hmm. They said, age range? I'm like, 51. In shape? Yep. Handsome? I think so. Doesn't have kids? Nope. Was he married before? Yep. And no kids? Nope. Yeah, but where does he live? Five blocks away. (laughs) 
<laughs> I should have made it interesting. I should have said, care to make it interesting? Let's put some wagering on this that I'll find this guy in a month. In Miami or uh, in LA and New York, Nashville now, you can probably find somebody like that because chances are he was you know, a professional in his job and he may have been married to his job too. But it's just a situation where down in Miami, people are moving down here because they're, they can work from home. They don't have to be in the office. They move to Florida because they don't have to pay state income tax. They enjoy the weather. But if you're in a small town like where I grew up in, in Western Kentucky, you may not really have that option because you kind of know who's available because you've gone to high school with these people and you're in the same church or you know it from a friend of a friend kind of a thing. And so I think for the the single parents who have come out of a divorce and they're in their 40s or 50s or whatever, it's, it's harder. It's, it's actually very interesting because I, I went to church yesterday. Their segment focused on groups and getting involved in groups and they don't have Sunday school anymore in, in church, I guess. It's uh, just all these groups. And they had the one for single adults and they had it one for co-ed singles, 20s through 30s. And everything was for your 20s and 30s, but there was nothing for anybody in their 40s. I could pass for 30s, so I wouldn't worry about that. But I'm like, if someone was going to church to meet the right guy or woman or whatever, and they're 50 years old, that's really not that old. And But yet there's not an outlet for them. Hmm, interesting. I think these organizations, like if they're really wanting to cater to singles and stuff like that, they're going to have to offer things for people that are not just 20 and 30. You know, that's interesting that you say that because I was just on the phone talking to another coach, somebody who actually manages retreats. There was a statistic that we were talking about that was like the biggest growing population is the 40 divorced person, like divorced in the 40s. There's like this huge population of that. She caters to that segment. And so she puts together these retreats for, you know, helping people who are reemerging into the dating life after divorce, you know, and she learned of my divorce detox and all this, you know, that I created. And we, you know, hopefully we'll have a program coming up. It'd be great to collaborate on because I agree with you wholeheartedly that there is definitely an opportunity there to really help the people who are in their forties and fifties who are single, who aren't going to the clubs. They're not even going out past 11 o'clock most times. You know, they're calling it a night at 11 o'clock. So what are the things that can be done socially between those hours of 7 p.m. And, and midnight? You know, dinner parties and cool events and things that you can do, you know, to really attract that kind of demographic because they are certainly able to spend money. You know, they're still fun-loving. They're not necessarily, you know, at the club at 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, what's interesting too is you just think about the age demographic of people. My parents are in their mid, late sixties. Well, so that means when they were teenagers, you know, they were, they grew up with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and they were around when Saturday Night Live started. And so they were used to going out and doing things. The people that are in their fifties now, that's people like if Chris Farley was alive today, he'd be 54. Adam Sandler is 52 or so, but they grew up with your Guns and Roses and Def Leppard and all that kind of stuff going out. Uh, the people that are in their 40s, graduated high school in the late 80s, early 90s, used to going out. So these people that become single that in the 40s and 50s and even you know 60s, they're not like my grandparents where they were okay 
staying at home watching Matlock reruns before the 10 o'clock news comes on. So in a town like Miami, I mentioned Nashville just because it's two hours from where I'm from in Kentucky. And so I know a lot of people that live there, but it's growing leaps and bounds and has a lot of stuff to do for a variety of ages. And you of course have that in Chicago, New York. So in a town like Miami, you can still meet a lot of people that are in that age demographic by doing stuff in the day, like going to the standard for their Sunday afternoon parties or their happy hours. And even if you don't drink, they have like the DJs and just meet different people or you have your, your Kiki on the rivers or these Sunday dinner parties or Sunday brunches and stuff like that. But if you're in a small town, they don't really offer that at all. It's like, all right, you have the option of going to the Texas roadhouse, which I love the Texas roadhouse, but you're probably not meeting the people there and at Buffalo wild wings or whatever that you may want to meet, or maybe you are, I don't know, but those smaller towns don't always have that option. And then if you're out in the country where it's like, you know, more rural and stuff like that, you really don't have that option. So you're meeting people through your kids being in school and maybe meeting a parent at a function or something like that or, or church or, or a referral from work. And so I think it's, it's getting tougher. I guess maybe more people who they don't have those options, they're going the, the social media route or the apps and stuff. I just feel like as people get older, they're going to continue to be active and wanting to do things. It's going to be interesting how people and the businesses around cater to that because they've got to provide outlets for these people or else the the people are going to move and the towns are going to dry up. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting how like this attitude where, you know, city life is for the young, right? And then everybody gets together and then they move to the suburbs and then from the suburbs, they go more rural and they, you know, they want to be at peace, right? They don't want noise, but then they get divorced and then they go back to the cities. (laughs) So we often find, you know, you see these people in, you know, LA and New York or whatever. And they're like, yeah, like I did my, you know, my twenties, I got married in my early thirties. I was out in the suburbs, right? That was kind of my path. I got married at 28 and I lived in a suburb outside of New York city in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, for 12 years. We would go into the city all the time. I worked in Manhattan. I was be, you know, out at restaurants all the time, you know, entertaining clients and whatever after work. When we got divorced, I looked around like, I'm not going to live in New Jersey. Like, I don't, I came here for you. Like, this is falling apart. I'm not the last one. I'm not going to live in New Jersey. Nothing against New Jersey. I mean, it was all right when I lived there, but I was born and raised in New York. And I, you know, made the decision to move to New Jersey because he wanted me to. And I was like, okay, well, we're married. I don't care either way. There's no tax on clothes in New Jersey. So let's go to New Jersey. When it, you know, ended, or at least we decided to separate, I was like, okay, number one, I'm not going, I I don't want to be where it's cold. I've always wanted to live by the beach. I always want to live where it was warm. So inner voice said to me, go to Miami, you'll be happy there. And I came to Miami in 2010 and I did not look back. And I had to reinvent myself completely, new business, new everything, whole new life. And that's the thing about getting uncomfortable, right? We bring it full circle where like, had I thought and gone with my fear, oh my gosh, I don't know anybody in Miami. I'm just going to go. I can't go. Like I may as well just move back. I would have been George Costanza living with my mom in in her basement apartment on Long Island, you know, and, and there would have been no growth for me. But I said, you know what? I have to get uncomfortable Right now, I have this opportunity where everything is wiping my slate clean. I don't have job. I don't have, you know, I'm, I'm, I was at the time 38 years old, 39 years old. 
I'm like, you know what? This is my time. Like if I'm going to make a major move in my life, this is the time to do it. I don't have children. You know, I have a bunch of furniture and a dog. Like I can make this happen. And sometimes you just have to follow your gut. You just have to go with your gut and see where it leads you. But, you know, for those people who they started kind of in the suburbs and they find themselves 15 years later, now they're divorcing. Notice they're all going to different cities. They're like, I'm out of here. You know, there's nothing for me here. Where am I going to go? So I often find a lot of people come to Miami. Like you said earlier, they can work remotely. Maybe they have an outside sales position, whatever, whatever their position is, they can, you know, have that here. You know, some people it works and some people they have to stay close to their roots because they have children, you know, so when they divorce, it's a big upheaval. That's why I always say, you know, people are very quick to divorce. They're not quick to get to the root as to what made it turn. What, what was the thing? What's, what is the thing that made it go? Because you were in love. There was a thing that you built and just all of a sudden it goes off the rails. Like what is the thing that made it go off the rails? Maybe it's not you. It's me. (laughs) I love it. I love it. I think no matter, because I've got, I'm going to have listeners from a wide variety of cities, not just Miami, regardless of where someone lives. I mean, whether you're wanting to get out and dating or just kind of get your life back on track and focus on improving you and, you know, the wellness of yourself, you got to get out there. There was a wise woman that she posted on Instagram the other day. It said, the good ones aren't under your sofa or under your bed. Get off your ass, go outside and meet people. That would be me. That would be you. That would be me. <laughs> but, uh, the thing about it is, even if you're, um, whether you're in a big town like Miami and there are things where you don't always have to go to the clubs, like if you're a professional, like you said, if you're in real estate, going to the real estate committee meetings or different or- trade organizations, things like that. Miami also offers a lot of young professional groups. Prez Art Museum has that. New World Symphony has that, among a bunch of other groups. And that way, at least there, if you're like more of an academic type or whatever, or arts or whatever, you're you're socializing with people that at least have some type of interest. I know a lot of the major league baseball teams, they've even started a, like a, a dating app for like the St. Louis Cardinal fans or the, the Yankee fans or whatever. And so the idea is you're following with people who you know are going to have the same connection in sports, which it would work for a lot of people. So, but you got to get out there and you got to do something. Uh, and even if you don't meet the right person right away, just meeting new people is a good thing because you never know what can happen from that. That may result in a new job for you or a lead for a, a business deal or maybe just a, a friend, whether it be a, a guy friend to go to ball games with or a woman friend to go to movies with or wine tastings or whatever. And you never know what can happen by meeting people who might introduce you to a good match too. Exactly. Everything you want is in a stranger. So just get out there, have a fun network of people and just commit to being like, you know what, I'm going to just go out and meet fun people and not have the attachment of where's my guy? Where's my girl? If I'm going to go here, if I'm just, you know what, I'm going to go out and meet people because people know other people. And through there I can be introduced. A good business deal can come from it. Anything can come from it. So it's, it's, a matter of that's why I posted what I posted with that <laughs> with that comment so eloquent <laughs> was exactly about that because I had so many of my clients being like, you know, oh, I can't meet anybody. Great. And I'm like, well, what did you do Saturday night? Nothing. I'm like, girl, you got to get out there. Like, where do you what, like did, what did you feel? I felt like eating sushi, but I wasn't going to go by myself. I mean, dude, you need to go out. You need to 
you know, go bring your, bring your iPad and just go chill at the bar and make friends with all the people at the bar and, you know, be like, Hey, I I go to my favorite steakhouse and I want to have some food, some, you know, lobster mac and cheese. And I'm just going to sit there and get through some emails and hang out. And there's always somebody that's going to come up to you. I can't, I couldn't go out alone and not have it be a thing where in 35 seconds, someone's going to come up to me and talk to me and girls, guys, people from different cities, like just kind of how, how it is. Right. Well, we've gone through a lot of good information today. I appreciate you coming on. I always enjoy talking to Lisa, regardless of this, just in general, because she's full of a lot of energy and, and she's straightforward and to the point, which is what I like. So <laughs> uh, I'm really glad you're able to be a guest. I don't want to keep you on here for too much longer, but. Oh, it was a delight. I love doing this with you. And I know this is new. This is a new venture for you. And I wish you all the best with it. It's going to be great. But we're not done yet, though, because we have to end with our two minutes of living the dream. This is my test for you to see if you, Lisa Concepcion, are truly living the dream. Oh, my. Okay. Here we go. Call me like family feud almost. Perfect. All right. So here we go. Number one, favorite Seinfeld episode. The contest. I agree. That is my <laughs> too. Awesome. That morning when Kramer comes in and slaps down yes. on the table. Like, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out of the contest. They're like, that was fast. He was like, it's that woman over there. And Elaine, JFK Jr. <laughs> yeah. Gosh, I think it was Jerry and Elaine that ended up tying and they were, that way they were masters of their domain. Right. All right. Number two, favorite Chris Farley movie. Tommy Boy. Perfect. <laughs> Number three, favorite John Belushi movie. Oof, toss up. Animal House or Blues Brothers. Oof, which one? Which Perfect. one? That's the correct answer. I don't know which one to pick though. Can I pick both? No, it's an even tie. It doesn't get any better than those two movies. All right, cool. All right, number four, favorite Bill Murray movie. Stripes. Perfect. Mine too. Number five, favorite Patrick Swayze movie. Another tie. I'm going Dirty Dancing and Point Break. (laughs) Point Break, really? Yes. He had that whole like badass surfer bad boy thing going on. I thought he was really good in it. He does. My personal favorite Patrick Swayze movie was, well, I have two. I have a tie as well. I love The Outsiders. Oh, I love The Outsiders. Totally. I loved Roadhouse. I really love that movie. All right. Question six. Top three favorite movies not involving Farley, Belushi, Murray, or Swayze. Okay. Coming in at number three, Love Actually. Number two, Slumdog Millionaire. And number one, Gladiator. All right. You know what? I've not seen any of those movies. I need to see Gladiator, though. You absolutely need to see Gladiator. You would love it. I know. It's it's really one of those. It's like if you're going to have a podcast, you really should be able to watch Gladiator. So, all right. Next question. Top three Miami or Miami Beach hotspots. Okay. So I know earlier you were talking about the Standard Hotel. So that made my list actually. It was, they have an amazing happy hour. It's the Lido Bar, the Lido Bayside Grill. Um, then my second pick was kind of a new spot. It's called Bar Bevy. It's on the second level of the um, Swan restaurant. My number one much more of a locals kind of jam. It's the Bay Club on Thursday nights where they do karaoke. <laughs> I've never been there, but well, you know Ronnie G. Yeah. He does the vibes and views. I think they've got comedy going on there like Monday nights. Yeah, I think they started to do like this open mic thing that I'm definitely going to check out. 
Yeah, no, it's a pretty cool place. It's over there in the Miami Beach Sunset Harbor area. Exactly. All right. Next question. Besides your boyfriend, your dog, your immediate family, and of course, Rodney and me, name the three top people that you'd like to have dinner with, as a friend, of course. Oprah Winfrey, Ellen DeGeneres, and Jennifer Lopez. And then out of the guys, because that's just my girls, right? For guys, The Rock Dwayne Johnson, Bradley Cooper, George Clooney. George Clooney. You know, he's from Kentucky originally. I know. Grew up in Cincinnati. Next question, top three bands or musical performers? So last weekend, well, the weekend before this past, I went to see Bush and live and it was amazing. So they, they're fresh in my mind. So they're on my list. I also, within the last couple of months, saw Dave Matthews. So that was great. He was in West Palm Beach, wasn't he? He was, yes. Also love Lady Gaga. I mean, what a show. Like, unbelievable talent. Voice, crazy. Great presence. You must have loved that movie with her and Bradley Cooper doing that. I did. Oh, Stars Born, amazing. So are they going out now since he broke up with um, that? I don't know, but they should. Well, I can't believe you broke up with that model, Irina Sherrick. I mean. Yeah, they have a baby together and everything. I think it's a two or three-year-old. That's together. right. I forgot about that. Yeah. You know, I wanted to go to that Bush concert. I didn't know about it until it was already in progress. I saw another friend post about it. Was it was so good. Yes, they have a bunch of just really good songs. And they were, I mean, one of my favorite bands in the 90s, just because I really enjoy that energy. And he full on went into the stands, into the crowd. He left the stage and was singing. Didn't miss a beat either with the singing. People are taking selfies with Gavin Rossdale. Oh my God, he was so hot. I, I mean, he looks amazing. Yeah. Amazing. He's like 53 years old, 52 years old, body on point, still great voice. And Miami's done a good job of bringing in good rock acts down to that amphitheater. Bayfront Park is a fantastic venue for live music. It's great. Yeah. I think they had Journey there like a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. Always an interesting place for people to keep uh, in the loop on concerts there. All right. So we got the bands. Well, I know the answer to this question. Favorite WWE wrestler, past or present? Oh, I'm going old school. I always loved Jimmy Superfly Snooker. <laughs> now, I love, now that's a good answer right there. <laughs> so obscure. <laughs> so you're picking Superfly Snooker, but yet you're, you pick The Rock. Is one of the people because you know what? Here's what's interesting. I didn't like The Rock as wrestler. I thought he was. I thought he was really cheesy. I didn't. I was like, he's cheesy. I agree. He was so cheesy. But when he became Rock, the Rock we know now, before he was like Pebble. Now he's like full on Boulder. Like then it changed. <laughs> yeah, I was always a Stone Cold Steve Austin fan, so I, I do think The Rock does a great job in Ballers. Now some of his movies, I'm like, they're kind of hit or miss. I mean, he's better in that tough guy role where he's you know going in there and beating people up. I haven't seen Hobbs and Shaw yet, but I mean, that's, that's his kind of movie. I would love to see him in like a full-blown romantic comedy. <laughs> I know he had this movie called The Tooth Fairy. I know. And I, I watched know. That, that. That just didn't work. Yeah. I think he did that for his kids. A lot of times these celebrities, they'll do movies for like, you know, the G-rated stuff. Yeah. Everything I hear about him is like a I mean, a really good guy. He just got married, by the way. He did. I know, like two weeks ago. Yeah. You know, people always say what a good guy he is. and he does a lot giving back to the community and with charities and things like that. So that's always cool when you hear about a celebrity who is also that quality of a person. 
Totally. I follow him on Instagram, of course, and it is. He's very motivational, very inspiring, and very hot. (laughs) All right. Next question. What's a better movie, American Pie, Old School, or The Hangover? I was so stumped by this, and after much deliberation, I went old school. That is so awesome. (laughs) Let me tell you, my life, I feel like I'm the Luke Wilson character in the movie. Do you really? Yes, because first off, we're both Wilsons. Second off, he's a real estate lawyer, which so am I. And when he started this whole fraternity thing, was throwing these parties and stuff, of course, you know, not that I'm doing it now, but back in the day, I would host all these fundraisers and model hosted events and things like that. And I was like, man, this is kind of like me. And of course, I thought Will Ferrell was fantastic as Frank the Tank in that movie. Absolutely brilliant. And Vince Vaughn was on point too. So that was a great movie. That's why. There were just more moments. That movie just did it for me. Put it right over the edge for me. So I went old school. I will say those three movies of the movies since uh, 2000, those are my three favorite because, I mean, they're pretty awesome. They're awesome. All right. Next question. What's the better Miami TV show, Miami Vice or The Golden Girls? Going Miami Vice. All right. You know, I still have some friends that they still dress like Don Johnson to this day. Nothing wrong with that. Still holds up. All right. Now I'm here for the tough questions. So here we go. Who do you prefer, The Rock or Joe Manganiello? Well, here's the thing. I want Joe Manganiello and Sofia Vergara to do a sex tape and leak it. Because I just think it'll be bags of fun for everybody. <laughs> She's so smoking hot. He's hot. Like, it's just, it needs to happen. But I had to go back to the roots. And I got to say, as much as I love Joe, I have to go with The Rock. But they're both married. They're both taken. So no disrespect. But I'm a rock girl. All right. Fair enough. Hey, at least you're giving consistent answers. You know, that's what we as guys, we want from women. We want consistency. Yes, consistency is key. All right. Next question. Who do you prefer, Brad Pitt or Chris Hemsworth? Chris Hemsworth. So here's the deal. I have a thing. Brad Pitt was awesome. Super hot, smoking hot. But then he got all banged up because of all the kids. Took a toll on him. Doesn't look as good anymore. So I had to go cougar with it and go Chris Well, I haven't seen any of the Thor movies, but I saw Chris Hemsworth in the, the Vacation remake with Ed Helms and Christina Aguilera, and he was hilarious in a comedy role. So he kind of reminds me of like this generation's Patrick Swayze, because Patrick Swayze was this guy that, you know, just a really good looking guy, but kind of like a man's man. So it was like women loved him, but guys liked him too. Yeah. Where you got a lot of guys that are like heartthrobs, but it's like women like him, but guys really don't care that much about him. I think Chris Hemsworth is that, that kind of guy too. But I will say I have to give Brad Pitt some props in a recent movie with Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I went and watched that movie. And first off, I don't think the movie was really that great, but Brad Pitt was excellent in that movie. Ooh, I have to check that out. All right, so Chris Hemsworth wins that. Final question. We didn't meet the two-minute mark, but that means we're living the dream here. All right, if you could pick any celebrity to play you in a movie, who would it be? Demi Moore. You know what? That's actually a really good pit because I mean, <laughs> she would have to do a really good New York accent, though. I think she was a, from New York, wasn't she? I'm not sure. 
because she has the long hair, so I could definitely see that. You know, talk about small world. Back when I was growing up in Kentucky, I had a soccer coach that was also a real estate agent, very successful. He lent his house, or rent, I guess rent his house out to Bruce Willis and Demi Moore. They were filming a movie called In Country in Paducah, Kentucky. So I remember going to practice, and I was like in the fifth grade, I guess. I'd be like, yeah, you know, they're in the house, but we were able to practice in the yard and stuff. Of course, we couldn't go and meet them, but I thought that was kind of cool. You know, a small world. Amazing. You know, she's attractive. Yeah. So she's in shape. Yeah. And, and she's a badass. Exactly. Just like me. <laughs> and she's a woman of age too. So. Well, but now, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell how old she is because, I mean, they just had a uh, Paramount Films tribute to Patrick Swayze because it's been 10 years since he passed away and they had been more on there. And I mean, she looked like, like early forties or something. So she was born November 11th, 1962. Man, so she's 57 years old. In Roswell, New Mexico. Yeah, so definitely not New York. But I think she could pull it off. You know, and that's one thing about with the dating here that's kind of interesting as well is now with how women have are into the fitness and they'll get, you know, go to the plastic surgeon or Botox or whatever. I mean, you, it's kind of hard to tell how old they are because – I mean, like Donna D'Erico from Baywatch, she was one of the blondes. She had some procedures done and, you know, more power to her. But she looks great. But she looks like she's like 32. So, like, if I ran up to her, I would definitely think she's younger than me. But then you'd find out, well, she's 51. And from my perspective, I'd be like, well, I wouldn't care. And so, you know, the whole thing about age differences and stuff like that as we continue to progress, that stuff may be a thing of the past. Because you're just not going to know how old people are. I mean, I know. And then you have all this like human growth hormone and all kinds of stuff and working out and nutrition and all these advancements. I mean, you look at Jennifer Lopez, that girl's 50. I'm like, yeah, she just gave me a whole new goal for how I want to ring in my 50th. Yeah. Well, the one thing about with JLo too, I mean, she's into fitness with the dancing and all that stuff. So, I mean, that's a, a huge thing. Absolutely. You look at Halle Berry on Instagram, she's like 52 now, but in this fitness thing. So I, I think for people, both men and women, if as you're aging and you want to try to you know, continue to look good, you got to stay fit and you got to eat right and the healthy living and all that stuff. There's a proof in the pudding when you look at all these celebrities. Now, I know we all don't have the, the celebrity trainers that these celebrities do and stuff like that. But, you know, if you do that and try to minimize your bad habits and stuff like that, it's going to serve you better. Absolutely. True. Well, Lisa, I appreciate your time. You know, it's one of these things when we were planning, we were thinking, all right, it's going to go 30 minutes or so. And there it's an hour and 30 minutes. But, you know, that's just kind of how conversation goes when you get in the rhythm. You know what? Absolutely. We did a lot. We covered so much ground and we got the whole pop culture vibe going too, which is always fun. Exactly. Well, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. And of course, we're going to have you back as a repeat guest because you're awesome. Thank you. And love talking to you. I love it. And I'm sure you can, you know, chop this puppy up and have about four episodes from it. <laughs> yeah. One other thing too, before you leave, tell people how to follow you on Instagram and on your website. They don't have to be in Miami to get coaching from you. They can live in Kentucky or Tennessee or New York or wherever. Absolutely. So I'm based in Miami, but I coach people worldwide. So you can find me at lovequestcoaching.com. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, if that's your jam, you can hit me up there at Lisa the Love Coach. 
And over there, I have some really cool content with videos. I'm kind of doing my IGTV thing. So yeah, I'd love to catch up with people. I also have a YouTube channel. But if you go to, if you go to lovequestcoaching.com, there I have a free love life assessment that I do for people. So there's a bunch of good free content there that you can help yourself to. All right. Well, thanks again, Lisa. You know, you're awesome. Uh, so glad to have you on the show. And thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me. See you around town. All right, see you later. Thanks for listening to this episode. Find us online at benandrodney.com and follow us on Instagram at benwilsonmiami.com.